Welcome to Bible Mysteries. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? You're listening to episode 169, UFO Disclosure Update, interview with Sylvia McKelvey. Son of Man. Now here are your hosts, Scott and John. You're listening to episode 171, Son of Man, The Sign. Hello and welcome back to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell. And I'm John Potts. And this is the show that talks about things in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know. And boy, has the world been getting shaken up lately, John, with all kinds of things concerning strange phenomenon, UFOs, uh, mm-hmm. UAPs, whatever they were calling it now, and uh, mm-hmm. some interesting things in the news that may or may <laughs> not be true. But because of all that, we just have the blessing of having one of the foremost experts on these things, which I'm going to introduce to our listeners in just a moment, uh, Sylvia McKelvey. She's been on the show before, has a wonderful book we'll talk about in a second. But before we dive into that, John, let's go ahead and thank our latest seekers. Absolutely. I, well, we we would love to say thank you to the folks that support this podcast and this ministry. We call them our seekers because they are seeking the truth, and they are uh, Guy B, Donna H, Christian. I'm sorry, Kristen G, Sharon C, and Andres R. They all came to us in August of this year. Thank you all very much. Fantastic. And I think you're talking about August of 2023. We're actually in yes. 2024 now, and I'm, I, sorry. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. You know, I'm just so <laughs> well, glad I don't have to sign checks anymore and forget the right year. <laughs> it, it can't be August of 2024 yet, so it has to be August of 2023. But yes, in, in August of last year, Well, listen, absolutely. We are grateful to all these that have joined us recently. Appreciate you guys keeping it up and helping us support this podcast. And so without further ado, I want to welcome back to our show, Investigator Sylvia McKelvey. Uh, Sylvia has been a Christian investigator for over 30 years. She provided research materials for and appeared in the 1983 documentary, The New Age, Pathway to Paradise, produced by WDFC Christian Television in Chicago, Illinois. She has been an investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, and has served as the MUFON State Section Director for Santa Clara County in California. And I, I want to remember to ask her something about MUFON that I learned about my own city. Uh, I'll ask her as soon as I bring her in. But Sylvia is the author of Storm on the Horizon. John's got the book showing there. The New Age, UFOs, and the Cosmic Christ. It is a fascinating read. I've loved every page of it. It is available at Amazon, Life Rich, and Barnes and & Noble. Her website is smckelveyahigherresource.com. Uh, Sylvia is a former petty officer in the United States Naval Reserve Hospital Corps and served on active duty during Operation Desert Storm. She lives with her husband in Northern California. She is with us today to discuss UFO disclosure updates. Welcome back, Sylvia. Hey. It's so good to have you again, and we so much appreciate you being a part of this. Um, tell me, uh, have you been keeping track with what's going on in the news lately? Well, it's kind of difficult to keep track because uh, it's been coming pretty 
consistent. So, you know, it's kind of the way it is with uh, all the craziness. It seems like it comes in batches and then you kind of have some downtime. But lately it's kind of been constant. So, you know, it's hard to kind of figure out what's going to happen from day to day. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I said something in the introduction about you working with MUFON, and I learned something very recently that I did not know. There was once an active office for MUFON in my city of Seguin, Texas. Uh, I think it was one of the original Mm -hmm. uh, headquarters or something like that. So there's a little history to that that I did not know when I moved to Seguin. I I moved out here for a ministry and had no idea. Uh, But evidently that office was moved or shut down at some point in the past. Yeah, and it's, you know, it kind of dates me, but I'll have to tell you when I joined, uh, it was still in Seguin. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so you had heard of Seguin, Texas before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go, John. We're not such a little well, city after all. <laughs> we so, made the map. Sylvia, Sylvia, you said it was still in Seguin, so you obviously knew about that office, and you're in Northern California. Does that does that mean it was more than just one investigator? It was like a regional office or something like that? Or? Yes. Uh-huh. Actually, it was, uh, I think, what gave everybody a start to start forming groups in different states. And so you come up with your state director and your section directors and your investigators. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it actually grew from Zagin to where it is now, which is international, actually. Oh, wow. Wow. I had no right. idea it started here, or at least uh, parts of it started here. So that that's fascinating. So folks just want you to know that uh, we may be a little small town, but we've got some history to us, uh, which is kind of interesting. Well, Sylvia, welcome back to the show. John, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask real quick for a lot of folks out there that don't uh, are, aren't completely familiar with MUFON. Just, I was just going to ask Sylvia, what what does that stand for again? Just so everybody knows, and they start researching it, looking it up. Yeah, the Mutual UFO Network. So they do okay. have a website, and uh, it's pretty informative. So anybody can reach it. I think it's just MUFON.com. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of information there. So if you've got a chance, I'd say go check it out. And that's if any if anybody sees some unusual activity or UAP itself or UFO, they can go to MUFON.com and report it, and then from there y- y'all take it and start the investigation. Correct? That's correct. Yes, there is. Okay. A, 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 you can um, leave your information and your sighting or whatever you're going to report to them, and then they will get it to the appropriate people, um, hopefully in an area that's close to the person reporting the incident. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, we'll put that link up uh, in in our show notes for this episode, Sylvia. I think that might be helpful for some. Uh, But, you know, a lot has come out um, towards disclosure last year, and and it looks like 2024 is looking to be another interesting pattern of events. What would you say is the latest thing that you've learned about disclosure and the U.S. government? I remember when we texted briefly before this interview, you were saying there was something that was about to come out uh, this weekend. Did that happen? Well, not the weekend per se. They had another meeting uh, last week on Friday, and we had hopes that maybe we would learn more from the uh, initial meeting they had back starting in July. But um, as usual, there's little new, uh, and certainly disclosure has not been forthcoming. And uh, to listen to uh, Congressman Tim Burchett from Tennessee, he's pretty much been hating up uh, that group that's looking into it with the government, and he's discouraged. 
So he was uh, getting more frustrated that they get just a little bit. It seems like it's coming out in spoonfuls and probably or something you can't run with. But um, he was, he made a good point though. He wanted to know where all of the money that's been funded for this uh, UFO group in in uh, our government, where it was going if they poo poo it and say, really, it doesn't exist. But there's a lot of money sitting there for something. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I'm impressed. Uh, I'm, I'm rarely ever impressed with politicians, but Temper Shet seems to be a stand up kind of guy. His cynicism towards the government is healthy, I think. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, he even calls it the war pigs when he talks about the ones that keep wanting to fund these wars. So I got to say, I, I got to give him some credit for being um, uh, honest about things. But, John, you you uh, mm-hmm. had a question about the terminology that seems to be shifting in these investigations. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one thing that I've been wondering about is we called it UFO for so long. And now it seems like in the last two to three years or just recently, right, that it's changed to UAP. And what I'm wondering is, why did they change the terminology? Is there some motivation behind that, right? Or is it because maybe they're finding out that they're not all flying objects? Some of them are flying (laughs) or some of them are going through water, Mm -hmm. right? What do you you know, Sylvia, about that terminology and why they've changed it? Yes, I've heard a couple of things on that also. It's unidentified aerial phenomena now. So, you know, part of the reasoning, I guess, is they wanted to have a generic for anything that was, like you said, in the water or seen elsewhere, maybe not even flying. But I think also it serves a purpose to kind of take it um, to a different location. In other words, there's other people in charge of this now reporting system other than just UFO reporters and uh, the old old team, so to speak. So I think it's a, a move on the part of the government to kind of keep it in-house by uh, renaming it. And maybe it sounds a little softer, but um, there's really, I don't think any other big reason why they did it. Hmm. Okay. And so I guess I, it does. I guess it sounds a little bit more quote unquote official, right? <laughs> and not so uh, like 1950s sci-fi movie ish right i guess to call it a uap yeah or or just sorry about that scott to obfuscate with bureaucratic doublespeak you know it sounds a little (laughs) bit because i think they even have you mentioned some go in the water is that a usp uh underwater unidentified submersible phenomenon yes um and actually there's been quite a few of those reported over the years it's um in all types of bodies of water they've um, reported them coming out of lakes out of the ocean, that's pretty common, yeah. and even rivers. So it's uh, something about this, uh, I don't know if it's a special way that they can travel, uh, mm. but it is something that has been reported on a pretty basic uh, standard. In other words, they kind of just always do the same thing. They submerge, come up. It's not like they are down there for a long time either. Mm. But. Um, who knows? There could be something underwater that obviously we wouldn't be able to see that easily. And it, it could be at a depth that maybe we can't even get to. Well, you know, that that begs the uh, a topic that we may get into a little bit later about the origin of these things where there's debate uh, and the, the current paradigm is to say they're extraterrestrial or from other planets light years away, which I doubt. 
And then there's the idea of them being uh, spiritual entities and possibly from another dimension. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, I just recall also seeing footage or reports anyway of eyewitnesses saying they go into mountains. Mount Shasta mm-hmm. is known for something. That's not far from your area, I think. Yeah, uh, no, it isn't. Um, that's also a common thing that uh, mountains kind of all around the world. In fact, there's been reports of them going into volcanoes. Mm. So it's, uh, wow. I'm sure the reasoning for it, I mean, obviously um, active volcanoes at that. So we're dealing with something other than just a piece of machinery. Otherwise, it couldn't withstand the, the temperature, number one. Yeah. And there's some way that it has to be able to get underground or inside a, a mountain. So there's it, it's very fascinating. But also for mountains themselves, for people who uh, are into New Age things, will often associate the mountains with how they meet the Space Brothers or these mm. uh, spirit beings. Because that's also a local hangout, I guess, for these entities. But uh, it kind of ties together. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Probably in one form or another, we're talking about portals. And we'll actually have some questions about that uh, later. But uh, in in our last interview, Sylvia, you stated something about the fact that the government is in a precarious position officially to have a full disclosure on UFOs. Has anything changed to force their hand in any direction with these hearings or, you know, like you said, Timber Shett's frustrated with the with the speed and the pace. Uh, is Are we making an impact here? Um, you know, it's interesting uh, to think about that because they pretty much have, in my opinion, backed themselves into a corner. Mm. Now it's coming out. They've had to admit these things exist. But now they're also in the focal point of people asking them for this acknowledgement further. Tell us something about that. Well, here's the government. They can't very well say, um, yes, we have the crafts. We have biogenetics uh, creatures or, you know, we're back engineering. For the same reason, you would not want to announce that you have a new um, special jet plane that is top secret. So you're going to be letting out classified information by them admitting that. Secondly, they can't say they they don't have it for the same reason they can't say they do, because if the enemies of our country think we have this technology, they're going to probably be a little bit more, um, probably paying a little bit more attention to that in our technology. And also, if they if we don't, let's say it's absolutely nonsense, they're not going to want to say that either because it's better that it's kind of like maybe we do, maybe we don't. Mm-hmm. So it, by announcing the fact that, okay, we have all of this like David Grush would like, um, they're going to put it, uh, actually would open a big can of worms because here you've got the general public that's going to want to know more, want to see the evidence, and not only for us in this country, but for everyone globally. They're all going to want to know. So that's a little bit hard to to deal with. Yeah. And my fourth uh, mm-hmm. point on that, which I've been thinking about, if there's truly a relationship between our government and some extraterrestrial, quote, beings, um, we have to consider the fact that perhaps these beings do not want to be announced. They don't want oh, to come yeah. out. So that's maybe another reason why this hasn't happened. Absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. Well, um, in, in regards to the government, I mean, the Pentagon has admitted to this program, right? It's called ATIP, 
and they've, they've told us the budget of that program, which is about $22 million, which I guess in the grand scheme of things is not that big of a budget, but $22 million is $22 million. It's covered by major news outlets like Fox News and CNN and things like that, but yet it, it does. it's not the biggest news story in the world, which it seems like if the Pentagon came out and admitted that they have a program where they are actively pursuing, uh, researching these, invest these vessels, possibly reverse engineering these vessels, how many they have in their possession, you know, is we only get from the whistleblowers. I guess the thing is, why is this not the biggest news story in the world? And is this a setup for the end times deception? Yeah, there's a couple of ways of looking at that. Um, I think it's because, again, that if they make this announcement, they want to have to have some evidence to show people. And right now, the evidence they have are these little clips of something. They'll say, well, yes, there's something there, but we don't know what it is. So that leaves it still wide open to be interpreted in another way. Uh, I think that this this would have a big impact on people if they did have some some evidence, maybe a piece of metal or something they would be showing the press. I think then the press would run with it, but they're not going to run with a story that might turn out to be nothing in the end. So I think it's more the the impact. They want that impact story rather than just kind of a wait and see what happens. Interesting. Yeah. You know, that yes. that kind of comes back, John, to the evidence of, um, like she said, hard evidence, like a, a piece of metal or just the, the witnesses themselves and the eyewitness. But, you know, these whistleblowers, we'll call them, all the way back to Jesse Marcel with the Roswell crash and Bob Lazar a little bit after that. And even more recently, Luis Elizondo and David Grush, you mentioned, They've been personally attacked and discredited uh, by official government sources. Um, it, it, do you believe these uh, whistleblowers who testified before Congress are credible witnesses? Uh, or is this just a standard tactic? Hi, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider being a full-time subscriber. We are going to use these funds to expand the message and get the word out about what's in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know about. That's right, John. We appreciate you listening, but we'd love it if you'd subscribe. That way we can reach more people with the time we have left. So enjoy the rest of the podcast, but think about subscribing if the Lord puts it on your heart. To subscribe, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com. Thanks. ...by the Pentagon to discredit them and control the narrative about UFOs. Well, two things on that. I, I do believe these are credible witnesses. I believe their credentials have been um, shown to be authentic. And I have no reason to doubt their testimony on this. Mm. And um, I think that in the olden days, you would have gotten a visit from the men in black. Mm. And they say mm -hmm. it's more an intimidation factor. And I think that's because they, the government or whatever agency is looking uh, to keep this quiet is that they don't want to have to be put in the position of having to answer questions. They don't want the focus on them. And as long as they have these people out there, that's a chance that it'll keep coming back to them. So it's much easier to say that they're, they're misinterpreting what they're seeing, they're misinformed, and they may be just crazy. So it's, that's been a, a very common, common thing that they've done over the years. Yeah.
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's probably, that's probably right in the playbook of the Pentagon and the CIA and whoever else may be in power here. Right. Is that, I think I agree with you. I think that these are credible witnesses. I think that they're credible whistleblowers. And then I think that as soon as you start saying things that they don't want to get out into the public, they go in and they use the playbook to discredit you. I mean, um, I think we all watched the latest um, documentary with Jeremy Corbell called UFO Revolution. He talks a lot about what they did to some of those guys that testified before Congress mm. by saying that they were drunks and that they were in a mental institution for a little while and they had PTSD. I mean, they were just throwing everything at the, you know, that they could at them to discredit them. Uh, but yeah, I believe in that same thing. You know, you know, um, John, you uh, mentioned earlier about these um, sightings, uh, and this is kind mm -hmm. of getting back to these witnesses because of their military and and State Department type credentials. But um, these sightings are typically like military planes or ships that are sighting them. Uh, you recall talking about that? What that might have been? Yeah, to? I mean, it's, it doesn't it seem like nine out of well. First of all, let me say this. On any given day, how many planes, how many commercial airline planes are up in the sky, right? Thousands and thousands of them. And that's just in the United States. So you think about the worldwide scope, how many commercial airliners are in the air? And then how many ships are on the ocean every day? There's thousands of tanker ships carrying cargo all over the world. So doesn't it seem odd that I'm just going to throw a number out there. I don't know how accurate it is. 85 to 90% of all sightings are all military planes and or military ships. So I thought that that was just kind of a, a strange thing that it leans so heavily, heavily towards military sightings. And I wonder if that has to do anything with nuclear technology. Like an aircraft carrier is run by nuclear technology, whereas a oil freighter is run by diesel you know, as an example. And then military planes probably have nuclear technology on them, whereas a commercial airliner is using regular jet propulsion, right? So I, I don't know, and Cynthia, I don't know if you have an answer to that or any thoughts on that. Yeah, I actually, I do. I think that the reason that we hear more from the military side of it is like you say, because we have atomic weapons. Um, mm -hmm. It's quite common to see them over ships that also have nuclear weapons, submarines. Also for bases mm -hmm. that have nuclear weapons, this is a very common thing that they're often having regular sightings by whatever these objects are. And, and certainly the atomic um, bomb situation does attract them. But um, to your other point, there are a lot of commercial pilots that have made reports and commercial ships. The problem that we don't hear about them is that the pilots and maybe these, these captains don't want to put themselves into that stigma. They don't want to have that. It's because that oh, stigma yeah. still exists. Like yeah. if you report mm -hmm. them, they're going to wonder about your credibility and if you're able to do your job. That's especially true for commercial airline pilots. For years, they've been put under this threat of you're going to lose your job or you're going to be given time off or something if you say something. But there has been a lot of reports. And I'll tell you, there is a place you can go to on the Internet. It's uh, was established by Dr. Richard Haynes. He's a former NASA scientist, and he has an organization called NARCAP. And for years now, he has been the source and the go-to for pilots to make their reports. 
So they can come to this site, report what has happened um, in their commercial pilot experiences and not have to suffer the repercussions of making a formal report with the company. So this still goes on record, but they don't have to, to deal with any um, feedback from the, the company. But uh, it is a very interesting um, site. Uh, if, if you get a chance, maybe you want to check that out because he's devoted a lot of his time, of course, being a NASA scientist, of trying to make this uh, more available to pilots to share their information. And interestingly, just recently, there's been a lot of uh, photographs posted from commercial pilots that have taken film or pictures outside the cockpit windows. Um, in wow. fact, I think you go to YouTube and you start looking for UFO sightings, you'll see a couple of them there. One is a very um, interesting one. I think it was similar to what um, Ryan Graves was reporting about this black cube and a spear. Yeah. Well, apparently one of the airline pilots caught something very similar to that. So it's out there. It's just not widely broadcast. Okay. And what you so that website is NARCAP? NARCAP, N-A-R-C-A-P. I think it's like a National Aviation Reporting Center. Anyway, um, NAR okay. NARCAP is there. Yeah, I'll, I'll list that in our links as well for the show notes. That's something I'm not familiar with. But, you know, since you mentioned, uh, Sylvia, um, the, the, the different types of shapes that, that have been um, reported on, one of the shapes that's now some something uh, in the news that's out there around a lot is this jellyfish. Uh, mm -hmm. So have you heard about the, uh, have you learned anything about this jellyfish UFO that's been recorded? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've heard about the jellyfish and it's it's really kind of funny. Um, people have been calling it you know, octopus and um, various names, but it's a very, very unusual object. And um, I think the consensus has come uh, down to uh, they're thinking that it's probably a drone of some sort. Mm. But the interesting uh counter view on that is that this object floated over our military base um was headed for water, made a complete stop above the water, then shot down into the water, was down there for a few minutes, came back off, and then shot off into the clear blue yonder. Huh. Very, very unusual. Hmm. You know, yeah, a couple, an added note to that is I think when it flew over that military base, they were saying that they were looking at it with night vision goggles and they could not yeah. see it yeah. with night vision yeah. goggles, but they could see it with thermal um, scopes or whatever, thermal optics, and that it would change from dark in the thermal optics to almost completely white yeah. in the thermal optics. So obviously it's got some kind of cloaking uh, capabilities to it that you can't see it with night vision, but you can see it with thermal. So it has a heat signature that it's yeah. on it somehow. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that because uh, that was uh, something that came up about viewing other objects that you necessarily can't see with your own eyes, but people have been catching them on camera or on video and on these heat-seeking um, instruments also. But going from black to white like that, it's like it's shuffling back and forth with some type of energy as well. So people yeah. uh -huh. um, have added that to the um, we don't know what this is category because <laughs> of that unusual trait alone. Yeah. You know, Sylvia, in your book and uh, Storm on the Horizon and in your website, on your website, you have photographs that you yourself have taken of orbs and other things. And they're pretty clear. I mean, I, I, I would have to say that 
uh, I don't know if you're a professional photographer, but those those shots are quite good. Whereas many times we're seeing video footage or even photographs that are so blurry. And granted, we're not all professional photographers, so I understand that. But with the advent of smartphones today, and they're so much better with cameras and things like that, they almost make it idiot proof, you know, to take a decent photo. Uh, we're gone are the days of grandma cutting your head off on your birthday, you know, with a Polaroid. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, still we're seeing such grainy footage so many times. And I wonder if that has something to do with what you just mentioned. There's an energy or a heat signature or something being put off. And, and could they also just simply have the technology to obfuscate digital equipment and, and cause these things to be blurry? Yeah, everybody's big main complaint is that it's a blurry picture. And I tend to agree with you on that because if you have something that is vibrating maybe at a different speed or causing some kind of cloaking, um, I don't know, mist or whatever around itself, it could cause you know the blurring effect where you can't get a, a, a very clear picture because number one, maybe movement's involved. It may have this cloaking technique that it uses um, other things that could add to just picture distortion. Mm. And, you know, it's been reported from people, even I mentioned this, that in citing some of these that tend to have this uh, plasma cloaking, you can also see these waves of energy coming off of it, just as if you would see on a hot day coming off a pavement. It has that type of effect to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming if it's doing that, then it could possibly also be altering um, what it looks like. Yeah, I, I agree with that. John, do you remember uh, several months back, I told you about a dream I had about what looked like a UFO encounter to me. And I was telling you that it reminded me of a jellyfish. Do you recall that at all? I don't, but well, uh, it's, I have, yeah, to, go I ahead. have to laugh when I, I'd never heard of the so-called jellyfish UFO. And it looks something like out of Star Wars, like a, like a, a probe droid. Or yeah, something. it did. But um, I, I do, we did an episode, Sylvia, a couple of them actually about dreams and how God spoke to the prophets through dreams. And he says in the latter days, he's going to pour out his spirit and his uh, servants and handmaidens will dream dreams. And I just remember having a, I, I rarely have these lucid or, or not lucid, but vivid dreams, but I had a vivid dream where I was, and I remember for some reason being on vacation with my family. Uh, it was like an Airbnb. There was a hot tub and a pool and I was in the pool and it was night and I was admiring the stars because we were out in the middle of, you know, away from the city, out in the country. And I saw this beautiful looking, like almost like an angel motion of this light being that was floating like one of those jellyfish, not like a Portuguese man of war, but there's many, many varieties of jellyfish. And some of them are just gorgeous looking with their translucent, uh, you know, um, bodies. And I was watching that for a moment when suddenly it's as though it turned and looked at me and came down. And the next thing you know, I was literally being like attacked by an entity uh, that wasn't a UFO. It turns out it was a, it was an entity. And I remember having to uh, rebuke it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and it went away. But I just find it funny that a few months later, I hear the story about a jellyfish UFO and I'm going, you have got to be kidding me. So there, who knows uh, what, what they have out there and what's going well, on. Well, you know, I have to tell you that that's not the first time jellyfish have been reported. Um, as far back as I think 1960, uh, there were a few reports that people were saying, I'm seeing a flying jellyfish. 
and they would describe it as this white thing with spindly legs to it. <laughs> and I thought, you know, when I first read about one of those, I thought, well, that's kind of unusual. And then I started uh, finding more reports about these things. So How about that? apparently they've been around. Maybe they've just never dropped down so low. So, yeah, it's very unusual, but it's it's something that has been reported. Yeah. Well, John, it, it that seems like a question the, about the, your your uh, different types of varieties of these crafts, right? Yeah, I, I definitely want to ask that. And I wanted to say on that jellyfish UFO, I, to me, that's the most detail I have seen in any UFO footage as far as being able to make out. It, it, you could almost see that that looked like some kind of a mechanical uh, thing that was flying rather than organic. And I don't know what it was, right? But it you could see so much more detail in that video of that flying across that that military base than you can see in any other video that I've seen. Now, obviously, Sylvia, you've probably seen a thousand times more videos than I have. Um, well, the, and, the thing about that too is that um, I, I've once in a while I, I get the idea that it's possible that some of these things could be biomechanical, maybe a combination. So hmm. it's just really hard to to classify it. That's very interesting. That's interesting. You know, we talked about, or we just talked about how one of the biggest things is how a lot of these pictures are fuzzy or blurry and people say, oh, why can't we just get a good picture? And, you know, that's where they, the naysayers come in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, personally, I think that because we're, we're probably dealing or obviously dealing with a very advanced technology here that when you, when you start applying that same reasoning to some of the stuff, call it cryptid stuff that people see in the woods. People have been trying to catch Bigfoot on camera for I don't know how long. And some people say that they catch him on camera and it's always a blurry or sketchy photo and the yeah. same thing with other creatures, right? But people have said that they somewhat have this ability to come in and they know the cameras are around and they're able to interfere with the electronics that we have so that they're not really well identifiable. So I'm wondering if they kind of, maybe it's the same thing with these UFOs, right? We get a picture of them, we can see them moving, but you really can't see a whole lot of detail in them. And maybe that's their way of hiding themselves or one way that they hide themselves. I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of throwing that out there. Yeah, that's kind but, of interesting though, but I, I have to laugh a couple of times when, uh, you know, we've had these uh, Bigfoot hunting Bigfoot shows on, television and a couple of times they've been out looking for bigfoot that had come across the ufos even orbs so it's oh yeah i'm not aware yeah that the two are together right when what? they I've, I've heard about that a lot too because you the last time we interviewed you, you talked about an orb that you and your husband saw mm -hmm. and a lot of these people that say they have sightings of you or i'm sorry a bigfoot in the woods a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times they say that there's another entity with them, like an yes. orb or something is with them, uh, yes. you know, almost like a, a master or a handler is with them, something like that. Yeah, for whatever reason, that has become pretty much a standard. Either you see one or the other or both. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting, but it, it actually does uh, have merit. You know, hmm. all of that tends for me to lend more uh, validity to the idea that these are not extraterrestrial in the sense of alien beings from another planet. Although, you know, we could argue that fallen angels are extraterrestrial in every sense of the word, 
you know, they're, you know, where, from wherever realm they are. But, but now we're talking about dimensions again and interdimensional beings. And it almost would make more sense that the, the combination of craft and maybe Bigfoot sightings, which are probably Nephilim derivatives of some kind, or um, the blurry pictures, whatever, all that could have something to do with the fact that they are trans-dimensional entities and whatever type of aura or signature or portals they're involved in have some sort of an effect on our equipment for recording or you know, radiographic images, anything like that. Wouldn't you say that's got to be something to that? Yeah, I, I think it does. Sometimes you'll, you'll, you, people will complain that like, there's a magnetic pulse and their camera won't work or mm. they constantly have a problem with it. So it's possible that they're generating some kind of field also. Yeah. Um, but I think also for the, the sightings, so you have, uh, the Bigfoot, let's go back to him. He's also been seen getting in and out of a saucer. So, I mean, go oh, figure. Wow. Um, so we just wow. don't know. I but more and more, the interdimensional has becoming um, a very um, credible topic for a lot of people. And what's really interesting about it is that you have scientists that are going the science route and ending up with the interdimensional because they cannot explain it any other way. Well, if, if I may jump to a question that I was going to save for later, but since we're talking about it now, we'll come back to, I want you to ask your question about the different types of crafts, John. But yeah. um, even um, uh, David Grush, I think, is reported by, I, I, I overheard a US, U.S. congressperson maybe reporting something to the press. So it wasn't David himself, but she was quoting him to say that, these biologics that he called these bodies that were recovered or found or the government had possession of are not in fact alien, but rather he called them interdimensional beings. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, the last time you were here, you, you mentioned that the world is in a preparatory stage to accept UFOs and their occupants. You think this is playing into that narrative somehow? Are they starting to just like changing from UFO to UAP? Are they changing terminology to get us ready for something? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, the fact that he came out and said they were non-human, yeah. uh, I thought was, boy, that's a great admission. Uh, but then again, you know, are they going to treat it like the Bigfoot story and, yeah. and uh, say that it's it's not real and what he's saying is just, you know, imagination? Um, <clears throat> but I think it is a preparatory phase. I mean, we haven't seen this before of any kind of acknowledgement from the government that anything exists. <clears throat> and they um, have gone out of their way to try to prove that they didn't. Yeah. So I think with all of this information that's been coming out, it's almost like to prepare people. Yeah. And uh, interesting that um, Travis Walton said something very interesting in a video that he did. And people were asking him about his thoughts of this. Now, remember, Travis, <clears throat> excuse me, Travis uh, claimed to have seen two different types of beings on board this craft that he was on. Right. These little gray types that he first saw. But then also he went and he saw very sophisticated looking humanoid types that wouldn't talk to him. But they were there. And so I'm thinking, well, obviously we're seeing already a variety in these reports, which we've had in the past as well. But this was kind of striking because of the human um, aspect of it. So to me, and what he said in this video, 
they asked him the same thing. What do you think this all means? And he said, it's conditioning. If you would like to hear the rest of our insightful interview with Sylvia McKelvey, please consider becoming a premium podcast subscriber at BibleMysteriesPodcast.com. For $7 a month, you can become one of our seekers and enjoy all the bonus content, including the full guest interviews like this. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.